on this episode of Therapy Bites Art Lab. Hey, Doc Heath here. Imagine that you're walking along a dark, spooky road and a werewolf starts to chase you and your best friend, your little puppy, and you're out for a walk and you run as fast as you can away from the werewolf and luckily the werewolf stumbles and you make your way to safety and bolt yourself behind a door. And at that point, the differences between your puppy dog's experience and your experience really come to the fore. What would be the difference in your experience and your puppy dog's experience? What is it that determines whether the barking werewolf ruins your day? I can assure you the barking werewolf did not ruin your puppy dog's day. As frightening as that was, your puppy dog will react differently. Welcome to Therapy Bites Art Lab, where Dr. Heath and his special guests share real-life stories of helping and healing. Fresh from the actual therapy couch, while taking a bite out of common counseling missteps and misconceptions. And now, here's Heath and the T-Ball team. Hey, welcome to Therapy Bites Art Lab. Doc Heath here with my brave psychotherapy adventurers, Sarah, our bookworm, (laughs) Heather, or I pause my game to be here shirt. (laughs) And uh, Debbie, uh, daring as always, jumping out there into sometimes the spooky, crazy, whacked up, messed up waters of psychotherapy and the mental health industry. We're going to talk about how barking werewolves can ruin your whole day, or can they? And um, there's the, the, the belief that in a day of 1,440 minutes, uh, somebody check my math, that something that happens can ruin your entire day. We call that uh, a series of cognitive distortions such as catastrophizing, over-assimilation, universalizing, over-generalizing. And we're going to talk about from the depths uh, beneath the psychotherapy couch some experiences that patients have been through that we've seen and heard tell of. And again, just a quick disclaimer, if this sounds like you, be assured this is not you. We mix and mash up stories. It's 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 almost like mashed potatoes. So you really couldn't tell with any, any uh, reliability who this is. Uh, of course, all the names have been changed to protect the innocent. And the stories we do tell that that are based on people's lives, we've actually gained permission to do so. And they want to share their stories to help other people. Well, gang, what are some stories you've heard about such things as mind reading, people's experiences with their own locus of control? That's a term that we'll get to later. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of these other cognitive distortions. I've heard heard a lot of people express, you know, but everything negative, everything happens to me. Kind of like Murphy's Law. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen to me and and it never stops and I've heard a lot of that I've also heard people who have expressed um, that they know that people are angry with them or are (laughs) intentionally ignoring them or you know that they can read the micro expressions and micro expressions yes (laughs) reading faces you know often joke if 
if if if if reading body language and reading expressions were that reliable, then we wouldn't need American Sign Language. I mean, imagine all that wasted time of folks learning American Sign Language when goodness, all they had to do was learn how to read faces and learn how to read body <laughs> language. You know, there's all kinds of books out there about people being able to read body language. And if that were the case, we could just stop using English. We could sit here and just grunt and head nod, and I would know if you wanted you know, a Triscuit or a dog biscuit. But I mean, actually, we, we are both blessed and cursed with language, uh, uh, language which is not certain, language sometimes which is sloppy and messy. But why would language uh, lack often such specificity? Mm-hmm. The reason that language lacks specificity is, I think, by design. I think it's engineered to lack specificity so that we have to dig and work. And in doing so, we deepen our relationship with each other. Absolutely. Wait, but Dr. Heath, what if somebody's mean to me? What if they say something that I don't approve of or that's harsh and that I don't, I'd rather they didn't say? Off with her head. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Off with her head. No, it's going to hurt. It should be illegal. Yeah, exactly. And they you, know it's listen, hurt me. you can never say anything. That others disagree with. Stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> Only you can say things that people disagree with. If you say things that someone disagrees with, then you are manipulating or toxic or gaslighting or controlling. Shame on you. <laughs> of course, all that is so much ridiculousity. There's no word for you. <laughs> ridiculousity. I don't have enough fingers to that. My coffee's in this hand. Uh, but, you know... When I mean, think about what you're saying. When you're saying, what if somebody says something to hurt my feelings? What you're failing to realize is that, uh, let's just say it's the barking werewolf that has hurt your feelings, you know, since it's spooky season Halloween. That means you're giving up your power to be able to decide what to think about the behavior of this, well, werewolf. By the way, spoiler alert, the werewolf dies at the end. <laughs> you know, the old movie. It doesn't work out well for the werewolf. And he was really a nice guy, you know. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr., I love him. He's a, he's a great actor. Um, but just think about it. You, you're really giving up your power, uh, programming your brain to believe that you can't think any differently than what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if you want to do that, I'm all for it. I believe in your free will. Exercise your free will any way you choose. I'm just here to share with you an alternative that you could choose to think differently. You could choose to sacrifice the belief, and it is a sacrifice because, I mean, when it comes to some of these social media, pseudo-psychological, nonsense, Kool-Aid drinking terms, uh, there's an upside. You know, you, you get to be part of a group that, that basically has chosen to uh, label themselves as victims, uh, to uh, sacrifice any kind of internal locus of control. You know, there's internal locus of control, external locus of control. And let me just pause there and get the uh, uh, some some thoughts from my esteemed colleagues here on what you think about internal versus external locus of control, and maybe your own experience in your life. Right. Well, the the way that I've always thought about it, and this is the way that I I describe it when I'm working with people, is with an external locus of control, 
my reactions, I base them on everything that's around me. So if somebody says something that I don't like, oh, well, you know, that's that's like we're talking about today. That's going to ruin my day. But I'm the one who's actually allowing that to happen. Now, if I have an internal locus of control, that doesn't mean that stuff doesn't happen. It's still going to happen. But I get to determine what I'm going to tell myself about it. And I make my decision based on that. Mm-hmm. Whenever I think of internal and external locus of control, the everything is fine dog meme pops into my head where everything's on fire around him but he's sitting at the table just like everything's fine like not saying that you need to sit in a fire because you know everything's fine because you're using your internal locus of control but um, (laughs) but it just that's just to put it into like a visual picture that's what it makes me think of well you know i I think i I know the meme you're talking about Mm -hmm. and and probably like many people when i first saw it i just thought oh that's funny it's kind of ridiculous (laughs) i mean that's not a good thing to do to sit there and the house is on fire. Oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. But maybe not. Think about it deeper. Or as we say in cognitive psychology, think about it at a higher level. Think about your thinking about it. That's called metacognition. Which way do you think you're safer? Do you think you're safer with your fight or flight system being in charge, which understand what's going on? The brain is is really, on all humans, highly compartmentalized. Uh, blood flow in the brain, uh, cortical blood flow, cannot go every direction all at once uh, and, 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 and light up every area of the brain simultaneously. That's what happens with epilepsy. That's an epileptic seizure, you know, when everything's lit up at once. Uh uh, imagine what you're sacrificing when you're in that fight or flight mode. You're sacrificing uh, often working memory. Mm-hmm. You're sacrificing task segmentation. Uh, you're sacrificing maybe the very thing that's going to save your life. I mean, it's not for nothing that special forces soldiers are trained to do mathematics under heavy fire because if you can train your brain to in a way short circuit the fight or flight response so that some of these higher cortical functions can take over well then you're safer or do you want to be all fight or flight which i i mean i i had a a friend of mine that was diving and experienced that i mean it's probably due to oxygen loss and other things uh, but he literally, literally uh, got up, confused with down, and mm. swam deeper and drowned. Mm. You see, if you're in fight or flight in a house fire, and, and my house burned down when I was young. I was uh, a sophomore in college, and my brother uh, beat on the door to wake me up in my bedroom and said, the house is on fire, and I was disoriented, and I grabbed a pair of pants that I hadn't worn in five years and they were too small for me and I was half naked running out of the house, you know, but when you're in fight or flight, all your higher functions go away mm-hmm. or you can train them the other direction and therefore setting, being able to say everything is fine, even when the world's on fire may just save your life. Do you want in a ER situation people running around like their their heads on fire when it's not 
or do you want cooler heads to prevail Mm -hmm. and to be able to operate on you? And people will talk about, you know, toxic positivity is one of the ridiculous memes on social media now. I don't see how positivity can be toxic. The, the, The actual literal meaning of the word toxic is something that is physiologically poisonous to you. And if, if we could poison people with, with, you know, positivity, I'm sure we would have already sent agents of toxic positivity to <laughs> Vladimir Putin and he'd show up tomorrow dead, you know, cause of death, poison to death by positivity. <laughs> uh, but really, just to tell you what's really going on behind the scenes is there are people that catastrophize someone else's positivity. They will look at the person and they will catastrophize it and they will label that toxic positivity, you know. But, uh, uh, I mean, we could have labeled it the, the toxic positive werewolf runes today, you know. I mean, maybe if the werewolf came up and, you know, sang you a melody or something, you would think, oh, the werewolf killed me with their toxic positivity. And it's just so much nonsense. But um, external and internal locus control, what what are some other thoughts on that point? One of the thoughts I always have with external and internal locus of control is whatever the situation is, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And so how you choose to interpret it is the only thing that's kind of the variable there. Mm -hmm. You can decide how you're going to choose to think about what's going on. You can either... You know, like like Sarah and Heather said, the external is allowing those things to control what you're thinking or like, oh, these things are awful. But the internal locus of control is making the decision yourself. What am I going to decide that's accurate, realistic, you know, and healthy about this situation? The situation remains the same. How well it benefits you depends on how you choose to think about it. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite terms, Albert Ellis, awfulizing. Yeah. Awfulizing. <laughs> and that's what people do, this toxic mm-hmm. positivity thing. They're just awfulizing it. Mm-hmm. And with the barking werewolf ruin my day, I mean, how long, I would ask, how long did the barking werewolf chase you? Well, I mean, I don't know how far or fast you can run at full sprint, but I, I, I think that it's going to be in terms of, um, what, 90 seconds, 90 to 120 seconds. And how would that 90 to 120 seconds dictate uh, the other 1,300 plus minutes. Mm-hmm. I don't, uh, wow. I think that's catastrophization and oversimulation, mm-hmm. thinking that the bulk of your day was defined by this little slice of time, mm-hmm. which you're welcome to think that. But the question I would have is if you could think differently, then why would you not at least try it on for size? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're listening to Therapy Bites Art Lab, bite-sized therapy for your brain with Dr. Heath and the T-Ball Team. The best advice on the net. No copay required. Uh, we talked earlier about the differences between the human's experience running away from the barking werewolf and your puppy dog's experience running away from the barking werewolf. What do you think would be the differences in those two. It made me, when you started talking about that, it made me think of a picture that I saw earlier. It had a dog 
sitting on the ground and a man sitting on a bench. And the dog was thinking about the exact picture that you saw him sitting by his owner. But the owner had thought bubbles above his head. And it was bills, an airplane, um, what he was needing to do next. And it sh- when I saw that, I was like, oh, he's thinking about... He's missing the happy moments. Like whenever you think about and you let something ruin your day and you're thinking about other things, you're missing the, you know, you're missing some moments in time that (laughs) you're missing some moments in time that could be very special and memorable. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, uh, I often um, uh, have a thought experiment with patience. I'll say, imagine it's the very last 180 seconds, three minutes, the last three minutes of your life. And uh, a curtain of the universe opens and fate or or the creator or an angel steps out and says, do I have a deal for you? Uh, you're going to get one more year to live, one more year to live. Uh, however, if you take this agreement, if you take this gambit, every day of your life, you'll have to experience that 90 seconds of the barking werewolf chasing you. But the rest of your life for that whole year is yours. You can spend it however you want. I mean, are you really going to say, oh my goodness, no, if it's the barking werewolf, I can't have that. Just go ahead and kill me now. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think so. I think you would take the year and then you become accustomed uh, to running from the werewolf. Right. I mean, you might be in even great shape. You know, <laughs> yeah. you might knock out a, you know, I don't know, a, a, a six-minute mile or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but see, it's, it's actually underthinking. We hear a lot about overthinking. In my experience, and I've done this 38 years, I, uh, I've never once ran into somebody I actually thought fit the definition of thinking too much about something. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will actually ignore other important factors of the situation. And that's a big one. Ignoring that this is only a small slice of time. What are some other differences do you think there are between your, your favorite puppy dog and, and the, and the, or yourself or the human running from the uh, barking werewolf? Well, after, you know, just a short amount of time, I'm pretty sure with the puppy dog, after he's, you know, all of the hormones and everything that we're going through his body to get him out of that situation, he's probably just going to, you know, calm back down and be like, ah, oh, I wonder what's for lunch. You know, yeah. what's, what's what's next? next? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I stole the story uh, from a story from acceptance and commitment therapy. And uh, I've kind of, you know, put a Halloween theme on it. But the difference is that you and your puppy dog have the same experience. You're running from the same threat. You you basically uh, uh, have the same physiological response, you know, uh, a burst of adrenaline and other hormones, including cortisol. And, and your stomach has shut down. It might be aching because why do you want blood flow going to your stomach when you're looking at being uh, werewolf food? Mm-hmm. And all that blood goes to your muscles to help you run. But then the differences end once you're on the other side of the door and bolt to the door because your puppy dog lays in front of the fire and set, and, and while you're sitting in the chair thinking, oh, my goodness, the 
I was almost eaten by a werewolf. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have bad dreams about that. Uh, I mean, what if it happens again? I mean, I mean, what if it finds a way to claw its way through the roof or claw its way through the door? I mean, what if it has friends and gets those friends and, and comes and attacks the house in the middle of the night? Uh, what if, what if, what if, what if? And while you're what ifing yourself uh, into uh, an early death, uh, your puppy dog is laying by the fire saying, Oh, this feels good. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Because the puppy dog lives in the moment. Right. It is not continuously recreating and recreating and replaying and replaying that video uh, like a human. And you might say, well, but aren't human brains and dogs' brains different? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they have some of the same you know, uh, uh, structure, but there are differences, of course, in abilities. And, and that is a, a distinctly human ability that uh, we can hold multiple thoughts in our mind and we can weigh different things. But see, the point is we don't do that. We don't weigh probability. We don't weigh likelihood. Everything's a level 10. Uh, everything's a 100% possibility. Uh, we think we know the future, what it will hold. We think that we know what the future won't hold. And therein is, is our downfall because all those are cognitive distortions. Mm-hmm. All right. That kind of um, reminds me a little bit too of a. Uh, it kind of this reminds me of internal and external locus of control as well. But if if you look at Stephen Covey's um, circles of influence and circles of concern, Covey, Covey, I'm sorry, a Covey, a, <laughs> a Covey, Covey. doves, <laughs> Stephen Covey. Um, but I saw in a, in a diagram. I was I was reading an article on it, and I saw in a diagram where it talks about uh, a proactive approach versus a reactive approach. Um, so kind of acknowledging what areas do you actually have control of, which that's your area of influence, what you actually can control. And, and it's a proactive, so you're actually working towards something versus where your concerns are where you don't have any control over it. So in that diagram, the more you focus on the things you don't have control of, your circle of influence, it shrinks. But when you focus on things you do have control over, your circle of influence um, becomes bigger. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Took, took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's, it's, it's whatever circle. If you focus on the, uh, the donut hole, mm-hmm. your circle of influence, that grows. If you misdirect your efforts at focusing, as, as Sarah said, on your circle of concern, well, you'll make your circle of influence shrink. It's, it, it is actually a conscious decision uh, that that we have to make, and and by the way, not deciding is a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the whole you know, uh, how, how did you talk about those reacting versus? Oh right, he called it a um a proactive approach versus a reactive approach. Yes, yes, and and, and without knowing it, God rest his soul, because he died of a bike accident several years ago. By the way, very sad, but he was a really old fella. I actually, was trained by Stephen Covey years ago, and um, went around the country teaching his seven habits of highly effective people. He was a very impressive man, but. Uh, 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 what he's talking about without knowing he's talking about it is, is the proactive approach is something you have to train your brain to do. Mm-hmm. It will not just do it automatically. Thinking that your brain will pick this up automatically makes about as much sense as thinking that I could throw you a golf club 
and you could go out there and hit an eagle or something mm-hmm. uh, at the side of Tiger Woods. I mean, that's not going to happen. <laughs> no. Takes practice. No. Reactive is uh, you can think of your foot on the brake or gas pedal. Uh, years ago when I learned to drive, I kind of wondered as a kid, if we have a left foot and a right foot, why don't we use our left foot for the brake and our right foot for the gas pedal? Right. Yeah. I mean, you're neglecting a whole foot. Mm-hmm. But, of course, there's some good reasons for that because you would get them confused. You really don't want to hit the brake and the gas pedal at the same time. Uh, but uh, uh, every time you hit the brake pedal, that is reactive. It's not a bad thing. It's just what you train your brain to do. But the point that Covey makes is that reactivity, which is actually, you know, hardwired embedded programming may not be very effective for the situation. You know, for instance, let's just take PTSD. Uh, It's not it's 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 normal uh, to uh, to to have lots of reactivity with PTSD, but it may not be the best fit for the situation. You know, I've had soldiers in therapy with me who would run off the road and have terrible wrecks trying to avoid a cardboard box in the middle Mm -hmm. of the road. Now, think about that. Mm -hmm. Why would that ever happen? Well, because it is reactivity, or as we call it, Mm over-assimilation. It is a cardboard box here today that maybe last week when I was in this country, uh, uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, could have had a bomb in it. But you're not in Afghanistan, Iraq. You have to be proactive and actually break some connections. In hypnotherapy, we call it collapsing anchors, Mm -hmm. collapsing some connections between this external reality and this internal hardwiring. Right, and and another term for that is not another term for that, differentiation. Ah, Mm -hmm. diligently differentiating the brain loves differentiation uh, and it does it very well but it does have to be trained because the brain wants to assimilate everything to lower the learning curve i mean imagine if you had to be trained to drive every time you bought a new vehicle oh goodness or (laughs) to use a coffee cup properly every time you got a new coffee cup Mm. by the way we have these on our website on shopify (laughs) <laughs> Go in there, drop a few dollars, and you can have your own Therapy Bites art lab mug. <laughs> uh, my team created them. They're great. Uh, lovely gifts, stocking stuffers, what have you. Uh, but imagine having to be retrained to do everything every time you got a new one. A new iPhone, you had to go to iPhone school to learn how to use your new iPhone. Well, the brain assimilates, and that's a good thing, but it can also over-assimilate. And it's the over-assimilation. This box is the same box as I confronted in Afghanistan uh, or this whatever uh, uh, boss or next-door neighbor or uh, person that has a different skin color than me is the same as something I've seen on TV that ended in, tra- ended in tragedy. Well, that's over-assimilation, and it's going to result in those false positives that we talked about in an early episode. And another thing we talked about was, um, was uh, mind reading. How does mind reading come into play with this? Right. Well, if, if you're looking at, um, even if we use the example of somebody who has been in an abusive situation before, so they're talking to somebody that maybe they've met, maybe they haven't met, but they're, you know, 
participating in over assimilation, they think they know what that person's thinking because maybe they've got um, a similar facial expression as their abuser had, or maybe they've got a, a certain, um, you know, holding their body a certain way. And so they're like, oh my goodness, I know what it is. This person's mad at me or I'm in trouble or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and one of the best things for us to figure out uh, it, it are, are not just our abilities and capabilities, mm-hmm. but what abilities we don't have. And I know it's, you know, Halloween, and, and I, lo- I know it's the day of psychics, and we, you can go and get your palm read or your mind read, but, uh, you know, no, no offense to anybody, but uh, one of the famous psychics, Jean Dixon, she died years ago. You would have thought she saw it coming. <laughs> Uh, but uh, the point being, I'm sorry, guys, not to burst balloons. There's no such thing as somebody with psychic ability. Otherwise, you'd have people that were, you know, much more fabulously wealthy. Uh, you meet lots of poor psychics. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not good advertising, but you meet lots of poor psychics. You expect with psychic activity, they'd all be Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or somebody like that. Um, but uh, we got a few more minutes uh, before we wrap up. But just to kind of put a finer edge on it. Uh, you have a choice whether to give up your power to this external locus of control, to the barking werewolf, no matter what that is. Maybe the barking werewolf is in the form of your boss or a spouse or a friend or somebody on social media. I mean, it's such a tragedy that we've had so many suicides and they track it back to social media uh, and people do say horrible things to people on social media, and they shouldn't. We're, we're in the same choir there. But what's really going on is that person decided to sacrifice their internal locus of control and assimilate some nasty, negative things that others are saying to them, but they didn't have to do that. I want to tell all of you listening that you have the power to decide what to think about the verbalizations of other people. Should people be courteous? I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, should people name call? I don't think so. I don't think that's courteous. But please, don't farm out your self-concept and your mental health to another person that you may not even like anyway. I mean, are you going to hold hands with them and take long walks in the park? Then why would you integrate what they say? Why not do as the famous Roman philosopher king Marcus Aurelius uh, termed it, uh, air set in motion. Or I would add to it, since we know about sound waves, sound waves carried on air set in motion. How would someone calling you a doo-doo head, or why would you let someone calling you a doo-doo head, adversely impact your internal locus of control in regards to your Mm self-concept? They don't get to decide who you are. You get to decide who you are. Mm-hmm. I was in a social media debate the other day. Here's your social media debate for the day. And the person used a popular term, which is really just another form of bullying. It's uh, disingenuous and it's passive aggressive bullying. And the other person didn't like what I had to say. I was disagreeing with some of the social media nonsense. And they asked me, uh, since I was using some capital letters, they said, why are you yelling? Well, you know, letters and text have no volume. I mean, I get it, but it's just uppercase letters, by the way. <laughs> That's a cognitive distortion they were having. Saying, I hope you're okay and you get the help you need. Well, they don't know me. I mean, I do need some help. I need some help mowing the yard. 
uh, y'all come over. Uh, I've got a hole or two to dig. Y'all come on over. Yes, I need lots of help. Uh, I have some concrete to fix around the pool. Hey, y'all come on over. I'm always need lots of help. Uh, but they were talking psychological help. Well, I mean, they were trying to what diagnose me without a degree. I mean, it's not up to them what I decide to think about that. It's up to me. And I want to leave you today at the end of this episode with what how we always like to conclude episodes is in the debates in your life, you're in charge of deciding your thoughts. We first engineer our thoughts. We, not others. We engineer our thoughts. And then our thoughts engineer our lives. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. we got another one coming up. Go back and watch the others if you've not seen them yet. Catch our feed on social media. On Instagram, it's doc.heath, D-O-C dot H-E-A-T-H, just like the candy bar. Everywhere else, it is in some form called Therapy Bites. Have a great one. Take care of yourself. Have a happy spooky season. Bye. Bye. Hey, T-Ballers. Thanks so much for being with us today. If we brought value to your day, show us some love by leaving your positive feedback and inviting some friends to listen in and join the T-Ball team. Next time on Therapy Bites Art Lab. Today we're going to talk about zombies, depression, and quicksand. How are they similar? I mean, as a kid, I used to love movies. And if you fall into the quicksand, be as still as possible because the more you move, the more you sink. With depression, it's opposite. When you're in the quicksand of depression, the less you move, the more you'll sink. Join us. 